Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of the Andy J Podcast. Just one pod for you this week because there's just one full show guest. And I just want to say before we jump into the conversation that this one is a pretty tricky listen if you or anyone you love has been affected by cancer. Uh, we are talking to Linda Nolan today and it is very much about her battle with cancer. She doesn't actually like using that sentence that the battle with, but I, I guess it's just the easiest way to explain it. She uh, she has a long history of cancer in her family and with herself, and she has just brought a new book out about that journey, and therefore this conversation is, is a lot about that. If you are a, a person that has gone through this yourself, or if you know someone that is and may find it helpful, Linda's story is incredibly informative and the way she shares and explains what she's been through is an absolutely fascinating listen. There are very light, lovely moments as well. And she remains a ray of sunshine and positivity and a force for good throughout this whole chat. And I would strongly recommend that you give it a listen. I just wanted to forewarn you because if you're thinking it's just going to be a sort of trip around singing in Japan and, and, and the old hits... It's obviously going to be a lot deeper than that. So I just wanted to say that beforehand. Linda Nolan is an incredible, remarkable woman. She's a brilliant guest and she has some incredible stories to share, which she does. But of course, cancer is the central character here as well. And I just wanted you to be aware of that ahead of this conversation. The Andy J Podcast. I am thrilled to be able to welcome today's guest. She's a singer, an actor, a performer, a TV personality, and now an author. It gives me enormous pleasure to welcome the one and only Linda Nolan. How are you doing, Linda? I'm great. Thank you for that fabulous introduction. <laughs> a lot to live up to. <laughs> you know what, Linda? I could have, I could have kept going I could, with an introduction. Oh, like, bless you. I could have chatted for about 20 minutes before you'd even said anything. I thought, well, no, 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 but if I... Short. The fibre will only go so far, won't it, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> well, come on now, let's let's be serious here. I mean, you know, you've sold over thirty million w- records around the world. You're one of the most successful yeah. girl groups of all time in Japan. You've outsold the Beatles, Michael Jackson, Ed Sheeran, and Adele combined. <laughs> we did at the time, yeah. I know it was amazing. That's nuts. I know. Well, I mean, you know, we think it's nuts as well when they told us. We we broke so many records in Japan. They're just mad over us. They have two charts over there, a domestic chart and an international chart. And we uh, we were number one on both of them, which was the first time any Western act had done that for about 13 weeks. They just went mad over the Nolans. Yeah, it was amazing. Isn't that great? I mean, you're still, yeah, it was. You're still huge in Japan. Every, every member of the Nolans is, is like royalty out there. 
Uh, yeah, well, you know, they are very small, and um, that's why we're huge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they are. They, we, we've we've had such a you know, uh, and some fans are on our, our websites and stuff, and all from Japan. So it's lovely. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, no, I mean, what a what an amazing place to be accepted in. It's it's incredible. Well, and yeah, more than accepted, hugely admired. So, Linda, listen, there's there's so much I want to talk to you about your career and your life and the remarkable things you've done. But I feel it's important to to start with the purpose of this conversation, which is that you have a book out now, and I think it's a very important book and a book that that's going to take some discussing, if that's okay. Uh, yes, absolutely. That's fine. So this is a book that you have you have written. Okay, so my very first question here, Linda, you've written it with your sister Anne. It's called Stronger yeah. Together, and it's it's obviously about your combined cancer journey, which we have a lot to discuss. Yeah. But I do have one quick question that's slightly humorous to start with, Linda. <laughs> so I'm looking at the front, on, I'm looking at the front cover here. Okay, and there's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful picture of the two of you, and obviously <laughs> you're co-credited as uh, as co-authors. Yeah. However. It is written Linda and Anne Nolan, not alphabetically, I note. How did you score that one? Well, you know, you just have to put your foot down sometimes and go, listen, I'm younger than you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't actually. That was down to the publishers. Maybe it just read better. It tracks brilliantly, but I did think to myself, she's she's flexed her muscles here. I've wangled that one, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously, Linda, you know, we're going to have a lovely laugh and a a big old giggle, but there's there's also some very serious things going on here. And and, and, I mean, I don't quite know how to start with this one. This is a book that is about your combined cancer journey, different outcomes, but but there's there's a great, there's so much warmth and kindness in this book, but but first I think wow. we need to start is is this is almost a guide, if if you will, to anyone that is experiencing cancer, either themselves or a member of the family or someone they care about or love yeah. has a cancer battle. You are yeah. so open, and there's some seriously revealing things as well about side effects and so on. But you have I'm I'm guessing your purpose for writing this book was let's make a difference here. Well, you know, our agent came to us and said publishers have been on and they would wondered if you would like to write um you know a book a book about your your cancer journeys and we kind of looked at each other and went do you think anyone will be interested you know do you think anyone will buy it and he said well they seem to he said and and he said and i think you have a story to tell you know it is it is kind of ironic that the two of you have been diagnosed within you know days of each other and all of that so we said yes absolutely but we want it to be warts and all you know not everybody has a life of you know, a bed of roses, there's always the ups and the downs. And so we just wanted to be totally honest and, and truthful about how it is. And, and it, there's no medical advice, obviously, because we're not medical, so we couldn't do that. But it, it's just our our um, our journey, like you say, and, and how we cope with different things. And, and if it helps somebody sitting at home who, who doesn't have a big family like, like we do, or great friends, or, you know, they're literally on their own, then hopefully they'll get some comfort from it and some from information that they think, oh, I, I didn't realise that, or I can do that, or that's how I feel, then, you know, that would be great. Yes, yes. I mean, you, you're absolutely right. There's there's obviously kind of sideline advice, things like the cold cap, etc., and, and about the, the importance yeah. of talking to your family and when to share and, and how to let people into the room and the conversation, etc. But, but it does feel like the way that you two are so open about this, it feels like you're changing the conversation about cancer. You know, it has famously <laughs> been something that, 
just the word is terrifying in itself. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, 30 years ago, they used to say it was the big C and, and then you, you died. You know, I remember our Auntie Bridie had the big C and it was all hush-hush and, you know, and then and then she was gone. You know, I was only a kid and all, all of a sudden she was gone. But I think now we talk about it and people always say, you know, there's so many people with cancer now. But the thing is, there's more people living with cancer now than dying. And we're, we're not afraid to talk about it now because, you know, research is so amazing. I work with a a charity called um, Breast Cancer Now, and they believe that by, you know, 2050, that, that no person will die of breast cancer. Wow. That, that's their hope, you know, that's what they're aiming for. And, um, you know, that's unbelievable, isn't it? You yes. know, it, it's amazing. Yes, the, I mean, the way medical advancements are, I mean, they're changing yeah. forward. I mean, look at, look at how quickly they got the coronavirus vaccine sorted. Oh, my yeah. God, I was so proud of everybody then. I knew none of them, but I was so proud of them all doing it you know it was just amazing watching them on tv these amazing scientists getting so worked up and excited about it you know it was brilliant yes yes absolutely well uh, linda let's talk about your own personal battle with cancer because yeah. this is, well it's not fair to call it a battle is it you you describe it as a journey sometimes <laughs> but you don't really like the word journey well you know because every time there's a tv program on with anything happening everybody's doing a journey aren't they so we have a joke about the j word you know yes. <laughs> but it is a journey of course it is you know it's I mean, my journey started in 2006, really, with cancer, when I was first diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, I was in Belfast doing pantomime, and I had to go for my results in between shows on the Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> I was dressed as the Wicked Queen, so they were a bit scared. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a bit of a worry for them when I walked in. But, um, yeah, and, and I was, you know, I was told then that it was, it was stage, it was breast cancer, it was stage three, I'd have to have a mastectomy and chemotherapy and, and I remember as he was saying these things, I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking down on him, you know, I was like a, the, the minute he said the word cancer, it, it was as if I'd left the room, you know, and I was looking down and my husband was there and he was going greyer by the second. In fact, they had to give him water, not me. Um, he was so, you know, devastated. And um, and then I went back and did, he said to me when we got, got outside the hospital, I obviously cried. And then he said to me, shall I call them and tell them you can't come in for the second show? And I said, no, we've got two two nights left. Nobody can really do the part that I'm doing because they don't do understudies in pantomime. And, um, and it won't make any difference to the diagnosis. I said, the only thing is, you cannot be standing in the wings because if I see you, it's like a reality check and then I will cry, you know. So I went and did the last three shows. We had a, a party a party after the one on the Saturday and came, came back to Blackpool and by the Thursday I had an appointment to have my uh, mastectomy mm-hmm. on the um, the 21st of February, it was, 2006. It was two days, three days before my birthday. Yes, you, you talk about this chapter in the book quite extensively which is it's I mean it's very raw and very revealing for you you talk about the things that you were facing the dread that you felt when the yeah when that when that came through and and that must continue to give you a chill presumably when you when you think back to those times oh absolutely I mean you know you hear you hear the word you, you get your diagnosis and you think oh how how am I going to do this you know what do you mean you know it's kind of like it, it's a it's a, a madness all of a sudden descends upon your life, you know. 
Um, I, the, the thing is, you know, and I'm, I am ashamed of this, is that I left my lump for about a year because my, Brian, my husband, had, had skin cancer. And, um, and you know, when in show business, when you, if you don't work, you don't get paid. So the two of us worked together. So, you know, I thought if I could just do this big contract in Belfast, it was at the Opera House for pantomime, then after that, I can then go to get it checked and all of that. But I, told, I made a mistake and told Colleen about it. And of course, she was on the phone every time, every day in Belfast to Brian and to me, you know, and then Brian made an appointment for me to see someone over there and the rest is, as I told you, you know, and it was, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a frightening word. You know, it, it, like you say, you know, people of our age, we associate it with, with the big C and death, don't we? But, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how, like you said already, how much advancement has been made in research and everything. So. But at the time, it doesn't matter what anyone says. It's a it's a really really frightening frightening um, word to hear yes. concerning yourself. Yes, it's, it's it's utterly terrifying. And indeed, there were identity yeah. challenges for you as well, because as you sort of said, you know, you were known as the naughty Nolan, and you were known for your amazing hair. <laughs> and I got to put this delicately, Linda. You know, the busty <laughs> Nolan. And of course, yeah. you know, having to have a, a single mistake to me that that was going yeah. To change well, you know, all of that comes into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, um, I was, it was traumatic to lose my hair, you know, it was, um, uh, and at the time I felt embarrassed about feeling like that because I knew every time I said to somebody, oh, I'm I'm devastated that I'm going to lose my hair, they'd go, yeah, but it's saving your life. And eventually I wanted to punch them in the nose and go, I know that. That's why I'm going to have chemo and lose my hair, but I can still be devastated about it. And, And I think, I speak about that in the book because, if, again, if somebody's sitting at home feeling the same but embarrassed to say that their biggest worry at the moment is losing your hair, then that's okay. It's, it's You know, for women, I mean, I know that men don't like to lose their hair, but we're, we're used to seeing men without, without hair. But for women, it, it's part of your femininity, you know. And like you say, for me, you've got a label when you're in a band. I was the bond with the big boobs, and it was like all of a sudden that was being taken away and... You know, I mean, there was my husband immediately said to me, I hope you're not worried about me thinking anything, you know, that, you know, you're going to have lose one of your boobs. And all. I said, well, just as well, you're right handed. <laughs> 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 but yeah, he was amazing, you know, but it, but it was a difficult time for three months or so. I was I wouldn't, you know, I used to sleep. Like, um, what was it, Marilyn Monroe? I used to sleep with perfume on. And um, and all of a sudden, I was putting T-shirts on, and I didn't want them to see me without any top on. because. And he said to me, but you know I'm not worried. And I said, yeah, but it's about me, this. I have to get through this, you know. And so it was, it was a difficult time, and I, I think, you know, it is. You know, obviously, I went through with it and all of that. But the, the, the um, apart from the physical side effects of, of surgery and, and then, you know, chemo and all of that, there's also the, the mental anguish that you go through as well. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, for this first journey, as, as you, you call it, with, with, with the first cancer in 2006, you had Brian by your side and he sounded like he was yeah. the most incredible, supportive, kind, warm husband. And, and, and in fact, you... Without saying it directly, you tribute him with getting you through that that chapter. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, he was just, you know, you sit up in the middle of the night. For me, when I had my chemotherapy, you... um, you, you you get your bad days, I found out, you know, and mine was my sixth and seventh day. And I used to get like really bad flu symptoms, everything ached and you felt terrible. I used to sit on the edge of the bed in the middle of the night 
And he'd say, are you okay? And I'd say, yeah, it's my sixth day. And he'd rub my back and say, come on, you know, and he'd get me a drink or whatever. And we'd, we'd go back to bed. And yeah, it was just having somebody there, you know, for, with the chemo. And um, yeah, he was amazing. You know, and it, it was difficult. It's difficult for people, you know, that love you. You know, he was, he, he's my, he was my manager and he, Anything that I needed work-wise or even at home, it would be done. He would do it, you know. And then all of a sudden he couldn't fix this. And that really, really, you know, was a struggle for him. You know, he said, if you, you know, if you lose a shoe, I can go out and get you a pair of shoes, he said. But I can't fix this. And, and it's so frustrating for him, you know. And, of course, at the time he wasn't well himself. So it was a, it was a really difficult period, yeah. Yes, yes. And, and you know, the timeline for you is, is, is one of utter heartbreak because just as you survive this, as you mentioned, yeah. Brian himself starts to fade and, and, and he passed away. It was liver failure in 2007, just a year later, which is, yeah. you, you know, I mean, must have been, and it, yeah, you described it, it ripped your, ripped your world apart, didn't it? Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, he was my first love. I married him. I met him when I was 20. I married him when I was 22. Um, and he made me the woman that I am, you know, independent and, um, you know, strong and able to stand up for myself. That's all down to him. And, you know, I, and he loved me. And I knew I knew that I felt loved every single day, you know. And all of a sudden, this was ripped away from me. And, yeah, it literally broke my heart. And... I, I didn't go out of the house for about six weeks, so my sisters took it in turns to come and stay and live with me, and I felt closer to him being in our house, you know. And, uh, yeah, he went into hospital on the 16th of September, and he passed away on the 21st. I thought he'd go into hospital and they'd make him better, you know, and he'd be able to come out. And um, all of a sudden, I, I, I was ill myself two days. I couldn't go and see him because I've got cellulitis. And then I, I uh, my friends phoned me and said, the staff nurse says you need to come in. You need to talk to the um, to the consultant who I'd left messages for about four times. But anyway, the long story short, my breast care nurse, you know, phoned and she sorted it out for me to go and see him. And um, she said, "Come to my office first, and you know who's bringing you." I said, "Colleen's going to give me a lift." She said, "Great." So we went to her office and she gave us a cup of tea. And um, and then she said, "Do you know how sick Brian is?" And I said, "Is he going to die?" And she said, "Yes." And I just remember this piercing scream, and and again, not you know, not being there kind of thing, as if I'd you know had an out of body experience as such. But it was like then just remember Colleen in front of me on her knees, and she's holding my face, and she's uh, she's crying as well, and she's just sobbing, oh Lynn, oh Lynn, you know, it was a a terrible time. Yeah, so I, I saw him on the Thursday, and he passed away on the Friday. Yes. So it was, it was, um, yeah, it was devastating. Well, this, you know, I, I must speak to the book on, on this episode as well, Linda, and I know you lived through it. Yeah. Of course, I'm, I'm just, as, as a reader of, of the book, what, a, what yeah. a powerful time this was when you describe how you then reacted to, to Brian's death, because I think that that chapter as well will will be very revealing for a lot of people and, and normalise a lot of people's thoughts because everyone that will come to this book will have lost somebody. We've all, we've all had friends or loved ones or partners, yeah. etc., who have died. And, and we all go through different things. You talk about the, the very simple things, like some people want to clear out the clothes straight away, other people need to keep them. And keep yeah. them as well. You didn't want to change the bed for weeks and weeks just no, because he was, was in there with you, which is, you know... Yeah, I thought that was the last semblance of him it was like washing him away you know but my sister eventually came in Denise and went Lynn 
Honestly, they're going to be knocking, the sheets are going to be knocking on my door soon. Same <laughs> changes for God's sake. So yeah, I, yeah, it was all silly things like that, you know, and I didn't, I didn't get rid of his clothes in his wardrobe for about three years, I think it was, three or four years, and it was, you know, every time I went to do it, I thought, no, I can't, and then I thought, well, it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect anyone except me, and I feel better not doing it, you know. Yes. Um, so eventually when I did, I kept a T-shirt of his, I wear in bed sometimes, and, and one of the, uh, you know, some of the, like his, um, he wore at our wedding reception in the evening, he wore a beautiful dinner suit, so I've kept that of his with the wedding suit that I wore, and um, yeah, you just have to do it your own way, I think, you know, and and again, explaining it the way I handled it, hopefully, like you said, maybe people will go, oh, okay, you know, I'll do that, or I might do that, or I didn't do that, or, you know. Yes. Well, as I say, it, it shows the human side and, and it and it allows people to have their own reactions. And, you know, if people are reading this thinking, well, if, if Linda's done this, then, you know, that's that's her way of coping. I did something similar or I might do that. I mean, you, yeah. uh, you know, obviously the fallout from it was was horrific for you. You were diagnosed with complex grief. You had dark moments, as you call them. And you were you were suicidal at, at one point, weren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I I, lit- I wrote letters to my brothers and sisters, you know, one letters to them all saying, you know, I know you will understand. Oh, sorry, I dropped the phone. <laughs> sorry. I um, I wrote letters to my brothers and sisters saying, I know you will understand. Uh, none of you expected me to be around for so long without Brian and, and, and things like that. And, and of course they don't understand. They never would, you know. Um, but at the time, you just think, I can't, I can't do it anymore. You know, I was tired and I'd lost hope. Yes. And, and you know, I remember my breast turner saying about Bernie um, when she was talking about things, she said, don't take away her hope. You know, if you've no hope, you haven't got anything to look, look towards or, you know, and I, I'd lost all hope. I looked out the window of my bedroom and thought, there's nothing here for me now. And people would say, get better. And I'd go, how can it get better if Brian's not here? You're not going to bring him back, are you? You know, I had fabulous counseling and, and, you know, then I was with the local, our local mental health team with the crisis team. And they just came to me one day and said, look, we, we think we can help you, you know, and you've nothing to lose. Give us, give us a chance, you know, and, and then, you know, people do whatever they want to do that's why you know suicides happen but you know just give us a chance because I think we can help you and I, I just said yeah okay and they were amazing you know absolutely amazing yes it's so good that you listened to them because they got you through it didn't they and and, and you did come out the other yeah. side and you you starting again is not the right term but you know what I mean you you were able to you do learn to live a different life yeah yes. absolutely you think you know, I look at my nieces, my great nieces and nephews now, the little toddler ones, and I think, oh, I would have missed all of this. And, you know, I, I've since shown the letter, well, told my brothers and sisters about the letter. And, and at the bottom of the letter I wrote, I had a Bichon Freeze, Hudson his name was. And I wrote, P.S., please, please look after Hudson. And my brother said, well, two things, we will not understand and we won't look after the dog. Now we know you won't do it. <laughs> it's the way to do it. You know, so, he's, too, he's too cute yeah. to leave behind, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah, it was it, it was yeah, it was it was really hard, but you know, I look back now and think, Oh I look back now and think, um, you know, how, how grateful I am for the help I got and that I, I wasn't afraid to ask for it really, you know. Yes. Yes, and actually if you don't mind me saying, Linda, you know, I, I feel that the process you went through and the help that you sought then 
gave you a, a newfound mental resilience to then be able to face the challenges that were that were oncoming, particularly with Bernie. And yeah, I, I feel like that the tools you had in play there helped you and helped her and probably the rest of the family during that horrible chapter. Yeah. Oh God. We, I mean, it was so terrible. I remember <clears throat> I was with Bernie the day her she she got her kind of final diagnosis that it had spread to her brain and her lungs and you know it was going to be palliative care from then on. <clears throat> and I was at her house, you know, and she'd gone off with her husband. I was looking after their daughter Erin, and she'd gone off with her husband. And the night before, she'd said to me, "What if they say it's gone to my brain, Lynn?" And I was going, "It won't. It'll just be." another little lump in your chest and you'll have an operation and it'll be fine and all of that. Anyway, she didn't phone me for ages in the afternoon and then I got a call and I said, hi, and she said, it's not good news. And I said, what? She went, it's in my brain. And it was just, I said, well, okay, so what are we going to do then? What do you want to do? You know, and she was, I don't know, I'm with Steve, we're going to stay here for a little while. We're sitting in the gardens and um, she said, uh, I might go to Blackpool. I said, do you want me to tell the others or are you going to phone them? She said, would you mind telling them? And I said, no, absolutely not. And then I put the phone down and sat on the floor and sobbed for half an hour before I could phone any of them because it was like, what are we going to do? Yes. You know, what are we going to do? It was like, this can't be happening. You know, I know it happens to people every day, but of course when it's happening to you and your your family, it's like, what are we going to do? How can we live without Bernie? That's ridiculous. Don't be stupid. And... um and I found them, you know, and, and of course, my husband called us the cavalry. He used to say, no matter what happens, good or bad, you come from all corners of the car park and you get together and you surround each other with love and laughter and, you know, you cry together, you laugh together and you just help each other through. And that's what we did. Bernie came home and she wanted to go to um, to Blackpool. So we came to Blackpool and we went to my brother's house she was going to stay with them <clears throat> and um, and we just all cried together and we laughed and you know we just tried to make sure that she was comfortable and she did what she wanted to do and you know it was um, it was a lovely time then she hadn't really you know she found out so she hadn't started any more grueling treatment and stuff so it was um, yeah it, it's just it's just awful for anybody you know to lose someone that you love so much Yes. I remember at the hospice, I, I passed Bobby Ball in the corridor. They were great friends, Bernie and Bobby. Bobby and Tommy, but Bernie was really great friends with them, Bobby and his wife. And I remember he used to come out every day to the hospice with, with sandwiches. He said, I, I don't know what to do, mm. but I think this might help because you've got people visiting you all day. So he'd bring sandwiches and cakes and thing every day. And I remember passing him in the corridor and he stopped and he said, we're going to lose her, aren't we? And I said, yeah, Bobby, we are. And he went... I, d I don't know what I'm going to do without her. It was just so poignant, you know. He just stood there. He looked so kind of, <clears throat> you know, like you wanted to just hug him, put your arms around him and go, I know, you know. But, yeah, it was a, a, a shocking time, really. But she was amazing, absolutely amazing, you know. And I did draw on, on stuff that, you know, I, I did, again, I went, I had bereavement counselling um, after Bernie had died. And, and, again, because I wasn't, frightened to ask you know it was a different thing to my depression it was you know it was about losing you know it was awful yeah it was a terrible time what was it like because the way you've described it in the book is is so powerful i'll be i'll be very straightforward with you linda i i cried my eyes out during during the, oh. the descriptions of bernie and uh, 
and, and, and it was so moving and real and raw and, and, and there and, and even little things where you say that she mentioned, you know, she says to you, we've had a great life, haven't we? And it just, it tears your heart apart. What was it like for you yeah. revisiting she, that time? Cause yeah, she never to, really... Sorry, go on. Well, you, had, you, you, you had to draw it all back up to, to write about it for the book. Yeah. Yeah, that was difficult, you know, going through those times. And we had this wonderful uh, lady, Sarah Robinson, who um, we spoke to and, you know, told her our stories. And then she put it into chapter form and mm. we would proofread it and, and all of that. And talking, sometimes we'd be on the phone individually to her for like three or four hours, you know. And I'd come down, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd come down sometimes feeling quite low because I'd had to wake over, you know, Brian passing away or yes. talking about Bernie and and it was it was difficult sometimes and I'd come down and I'd be, you know, exhausted. And other times I'd come down and I'd been talking about nice things that had happened or whatever and you know, it's amazing you're you're waking over all things that you think you closed the door on really or you've put the you put them to bed in a safe place, you know. Mm. So yeah, it was difficult. I remember we went to visit her the weekend before she died. She never ever said about dying. You know, she she was always you know, we were going to America for Maureen's sixtieth birthday, all of us. She was supposed to be coming, but the cancer had spread to her lungs so she couldn't fly so she was looking about going cruising over to Florida and meeting us all there and surprising Maureen and we all knew she she wouldn't make that but that's you know we were all going oh that would be brilliant and we could do that and then we'll do that and you know just to keep she never actually said I won't be here to do that except when we went up to see her the weekend before Maureen myself <clears throat> my brother Brian and his wife Annie and we went up to spend the weekend with them and um she, uh, they were all sitting outside and, and I sat in her conservatory. She was sitting in a wheelchair and she took hold of my hand and she said, um, she said, I, I've, I've done well, haven't I, Lynn? I've done well for you all. I said, I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, they gave me three months in, oh, they gave me two weeks to live in February, she said. And here we are in July, she said. Um, she said, you know, I want to give, want to make sure that this ring, her wedding ring, um, stays with Steve and that her engagement ring goes to, to Aaron, she said, and um, can you believe that we're sitting here talking about me dying? And I said, no. And she said, let's not then, get me a vodka. <laughs> she was amazing, yeah. yeah. You know, and she used to do her makeup until the last minute and eventually I had to say to her, Bernie, you need to give the eyeliner a rest because it's on your nose now. Oh. <laughs> you know, because you could but it was all, she was always up and joking about that. She sat and watched that program, you know, um, a Life in the Sun, you know, the program that banks yes. that plays the board and, yes. and all that. She'd sit and watch that for hours on end. And she was amazing. You know, she was um, even up to, you know, the days <clears throat> we went home on the Sunday. Um, we got home and Monday morning after we'd visited her and Monday morning we got a call from Steve to say, you need to come back. She's taken a turn for the worse and they've said, you know, to prepare ourselves, which of course you can never do, you know, you think you are. So we all started to make our way back there and um and then we sat up beside her in the bedroom and it was the uh it was the the um the weekend where uh Andy Murray was winning Wimbledon, you know, he was in the semi finals game and we all sat beside her and Colleen kept whispering in her ear, fifteen love to Murray. <laughs> oh, fifteen all and all of that. And then, you know, we were cheering when he won and she just put like a fist pump up, you know, as it's say, I'm here. Um and her big thing was she said, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be alone when I die. That was her only thing she'd said to Steve, you know. And consequently, we were all sitting, sitting around and um, Steve said, why don't you sing something? 
and it was the middle, it was July, and we sang Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, because it's the only thing that we all can remember our harmonies to, and, you know, five-part harmony. But I remember we started singing before that, and she put her finger up and shook it as if to say, don't sing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we sang that, and then when 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 it was time and she was she was going, we were all sitting around her. I was sitting on the bed and her husband was holding her and her daughter and he just kept saying, you're not on your own, Bernie, we're all here. And then he'd say, you know, Linda's here and Tommy and Brian and, and you know, and then it was, she's gone, you know, and it was like just kind of just silence and disbelief, thinking, no, she, she'll come back, she'll be there in a minute, hold on. And it was just, you know, just horrendous then all you could hear was the sobs of her daughter who was 14 at the time yes so it was a yeah it was a shocking shocking time and then we all went and sat with her and you know individually and we'd done that before she passed away two days before we'd gone in individually and kind of spoken to her and mm. you know i was talking to her and i lay on on her stomach and had my head on her stomach and she just put a hand on my head as if to say i i I can hear you, you know, I know what you're saying. And it was just, it was so lovely. I mean, Steve had to go to London. He wrote the last chapter of her book. And, you know, the book was for Erin. It was for her, you know, uni fund or whatever. So he finished the book, which was really difficult for him to do. And Bernie was still alive at the time, but she obviously couldn't travel or anything. And he said, she wants you to come and look after her. I said, oh, she wants me to come to London for Blackpool to after. He went, yeah. I was thrilled, of course. Yeah. So I got the train down and Steve went off to do the, it was a, a breakfast show. Um, he was doing it in Manchester. So I went down and said, um, he left out her, her syringes of morphine, her medication, on the side, on the window with time she has to have them and all. And in the morning I went to give it to her. And of course, it got all sticky and stuck. I mean, it was, it, you know, these funny things happen, don't they? And she says, I need the morphine now at this time. So I gave her that and I couldn't get it in. And she went, oh, just touch the plunger. And then I nearly choked her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, I gave her some clean pills and I said, what, what do you want to do? And she said, lie with me. Right. And I lay in the bed and we held, she just took hold of my hand and we both fell asleep for an hour or so. And then she, um, you know, when she woke up, a friend had come round because they'd had a burglary at their house. Um, people obviously knew she was away, so they stole her car and okay. broke in and, you know, yeah, it was shocking. And um, and she, they stole the watch that she'd had engraved for her husband for the wedding. So she replaced that. A friend of ours sourced it and, and had it engraved and all again for him. So even, you know, down to the wire, she was there. I mean, she actually arranged her funeral which is unbelievable, you know, she'd, she'd um, spoken with Erin about a poem that she'd love her to read and she'd organised who went in what car and Maureen, she'd written a letter that she wanted Maureen to read out and I did a little bit about, you know, just being sisters and brothers, not Nolan's sisters and brothers, mm. you know, not famous sisters and brothers, just being a family, you know, and, um, and my brother hosted it all in a theatre, in the Grand Theatre in Blackpool. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. And we had a big screen up and we had her singing and it just seemed right for her to be there. And it's funny because at the end of the video, she sings um, I Want to Run to You by uh, Whitney Houston and she finishes the song and she goes off stage in this video and then she comes back on for an encore and everybody in the theatre stood up. You know, it was it was unbelievable. And, and the right send off for her. The streets were lined, thousands of people. You know, it was unbelievable. Yes. It was just... 
you know, it was heartbreaking and we'll never get over it ever. But it was beautiful and she'd arranged it and it was like, yes, very, very good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and she. Yeah, it was. Her biggest regret was, was leaving Erin behind so young. Absolutely, Erin and Steve, yeah. And she'd said, you know, she said, I've had a. She said, um, not too many tears now today, she said in this letter. She said, I mean, I. I I deserve some tears, she says, but not too many. Yeah, she said, not too many. She said, I've had a great life. You know, I've, I've, I've she spoke about meeting Steve and marrying him and having Aaron. And, and she said, and I've met, met my idols, Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, you know, what more could you ask for? And, um, and it was just, she said, and at the end of it, she said, um, remember me on my birthday, she said, um, and have a little drink, make it vodka. She used to drink a vodka mule vodka with ginger ale and oh, yeah. a, a drop of lime and yeah. Moscow meal, that's right, yeah. And and so every on the seventeenth of October October, her birthday, we always I always put seven Moscow meals, you know, you know, on wherever we are in a restaurant or at somebody's house. And I say, Don't uh, don't forget people, remember Bernie's birthday and then people, friends and people put Moscow meals on or having a drink or and it's so lovely, it's such a lovely way to remember her. Yes. You know, on the day she died, which was the 4th of July, Independence Day, I said, trust her, you know, <laughs> independent right to the very end. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and we, we get together, you know, myself, my two brothers and boy, we, we always get together. Anne and Denise prefer to, to be on their own for that day, you know. Yeah. We always, um, so we get together. But on our birthday, we all try and get together and make it a celebration of our life, you know, still. I mean, it's, what is it? Fourteen years it'll be this year. It's mad, isn't it? Which is unbelievable. No, it won't. It's fourteen years that Brian died this year. It will be, and uh, she died in two thousand and eight years. Yeah, yeah. And even though you know, eight years, and you think, where has that time gone? And then other times you think she hasn't been here for so long. You know, it's. Um, but I feel her with us. So, you know, I felt her. But people said to me, you know, do you feel her presence or whatever? I do. It, it, you know, I don't know what it is. And just sometimes I think Bernie would say, you know, book up, <laughs> you know, right. get on with it, sort yourself out. You know, she, when my husband died, she phoned me every single day, twice a day, every single day for about two years, just checking in in case you need me. I'm here, you know. Um, yeah, she was... You know, like the, the linchpin of our family. She was so family orientated. When she'd come to Blackpool, there would always be a big party and everyone there. And, you know, so whenever there's a party, we miss her. Because we think Bernie would be now doing river dance in the middle of the floor, you know. And yes. at three in the morning, when you say, I've got to go home, she goes, It's too early to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was a real a party animal. She was brilliant. And, you know, even though we lost her, we were better having known her, you know. Yes. She was amazing. Yes, yes. Well, uh, like I say, the, the the way you describe her in in the book, it's a real tribute to to her and her life and everything she represented to you and and the rest of the world. And it's it's a very yeah. very, very powerful, very very powerful and and heartbreaking episode. And well. you know, bless you for for sharing the way you share with that as well. Uh, unfortunately, that isn't the end of the book because. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> there is there is more. I mean, your your, yeah. your cancer decided right. Hello, I'm back. I'm making a return. Yeah, and that kind of. I always say that was Bernie again. I I um, my hip had been sore. You know, I thought that I had the onset of arthritis through old age, and our mom and our auntie had bad arthritis. So I thought it was that. You know, and I was um, 
I'd been to the doctor about it and all, and I was having uh, I was having my three great nieces over um, for a sleepover, Auntie Lynn's, you know, which they love because they take chocolate to bed at midnight. Um, <laughs> so, um, and I was having them over. I was going upstairs. It was an eighteen-month-old, five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And I was going upstairs to get, get the eighteen-month-old pajamas, and I slipped on the step. My foot fell off the step, and I heard a crack. And I thought, "Oh, that, that doesn't sound very nice." Anyway, I got to the top of the stairs, got the pajamas, and then I got to the top of the stairs to come down again, and I couldn't move. I was in absolute agony leaning against the door and I was screaming for the kids Sienna and David because they were watching Spongebob Squarepants oh. which they watch every time they come here just to wind me up <laughs> and I've seen it so many times and I could hear them then at the bottom of the stairs and Sienna who was five was going Ava listen Auntie Linda's pretending to cry and I went I'm not pretending to cry and they came upstairs and the seven year old said what's wrong Auntie Linda and I said I've hurt myself falling and you need to to get my mobile phone so I can phone your aunties, you know. And I think it's amazing what kids do. Ava said, Sienna, you go down and get Auntie Linda's phone. I'm going to look after, hold Auntie Linda up, bless her. I'm leaning against the door. And then Ava came up, she went, I've unlocked the door so they can get in. And then I found my sisters, they came round and they took me to hospital. At first, at first they thought I had fractured, because they saw it on the x-ray, that I'd fractured my um, my hip bone. And they said, you know, that would be surgery. And, and and it was like, oh, wow. And then about half an hour later, they came in and said, we're just going to take another x-ray, the long bone in your leg, because of your history. And they left. And I said to Anne, who was with me, I said, oh, I didn't think of that. You know, and I said, oh, it is just because of our history. They're just being cautious, you know. And then three days later, they came. It's funny, you know, when it's bad news, because a consultant comes in with three nurses and a, you know, a Macmillan nurse arrives, and you think, oh. And they said to me, we've seen something on your hip. And I said, is it cancer? And they said, we're not 100% sure yet, but we think 99% that it is, yes. And we think that's what what's happened is, is that the cancer had been eating through your hip bone. And so that crack was just a little bit at the top of it coming off. And, um, yeah, and I was in hospital for three weeks, and again, dreading telling the girls and my brothers, you know, dropping this on them again, another bombshell for them. And um, but they were amazing. You know, Denise said, come and live with us, or you're coming to live with us when you come out of hospital while you get better, you know. And it was so funny because I'd be on the hospital ward and they'd phone before coming and they'd say, would you like anything? And I'd go, yeah, could you just bring me a packet of crisps? <laughs> and my brother would turn up with a family-sized bag of crisps. Brilliant. You know, 12 packets in it. Excellent. He's an, and, and, and could I have chocolate and a whole big massive bar of chocolate come in and eventually I had to say to them look I'm going to be okay with the cancer but I'm going to end up having a gastric band fitted <laughs> on, the, on the ward upstairs but they said we just don't know what to do so when you ask us to do something it's so great you know yes. um, so yeah they're amazing and, and I know how blessed and lucky we are really to have family you know again harping back to why we, we don't mind sharing. People have been so generous to us, you know, fans and, and buying our records and supporting us. You know, some of our fans have grown up with us. They now have their grandchildren listening to our records. And, um, you know, and so if we can help by sharing life, life stories and things that happen, then that's brilliant. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and, and actually the, the sort of the fact that you went through this final 
chapter, that this final journey, the cancer journey that you share with yeah. with Anne, which was well, they said to me. They said to me, your cancer is treatable, but not curable. Right. And I said to the nurse, which I, I apologize afterwards, but I said, that's what you told my dead sister. Right. And there was a kind of a, oof. she was amazing. She said, yeah, but Bernie's cancer was different. Hers came back all over. Yours is contained in in your hip. You know, there's no, it's nowhere else on the scans. And, and I, you know, afterwards I apologized. And she said, don't, don't be silly. It's a, it's a, obvious thing that you would think, you know, that your sister's passed away with it and so it's come back to get me. But, you know, they said that women can live with it for 10, 15 years, you know, and I was on crutches initially. I had a bone biopsy to confirm it. And then I was on crutches and, you know, again, the kids bring you back down to earth. You know, initially it was, oh, Auntie Linda's here, find your seat. And after about two weeks, it was, oh, Auntie Linda, I'm not getting up for you. <laughs> Find your own seat. Bring your own chair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. And then obviously... Yeah, so... And then in 2020, then this one, yeah. so last year, the, the, the most recent episode, and, and you're, you've had to go through the, the rigmarole again. Absolutely, yeah. We've had, um, we've had such an amazing time on the... the you know, we did the, uh, the Nolans Go Cruising. Yes. Um, and we've done the series, and it's been brilliant, and it was just at the very... You know, we were play, playing cat and mouse we realised when we got back around the Mediterranean with COVID, you know, we got back and, and Maureen and I went straight into isolation at Maureen's house. And, um, you know, we the kids, had, at, at the time, they'd come and knock on the window and we'd wave to them and all of that, you know, not realising how terrible it was going to get. And then um, <clears throat> Maureen said that Anne had found a lump and she'd been to the doctor and she was waiting for the results, you know, and I'd come back and I'd had a CT scan. And um, I was lying in bed and I got a phone call off Maureen and she said, Anne's results are back and it is, it is breast cancer and she has to have a, um, has to have, you know, chemotherapy, radiotherapy and possibly an operation. And it was like, oh my God. And normally we'd all be up there around there because, you know, that's what we do. And we couldn't do anything. I said, send her my love and, you know, we, we, we won't leave from the gate, you know, this afternoon or whatever it was. It was a bizarre feeling, and I lay there, and about half an hour later, the phone rang, and it was my consultant secretary, and she said, um, Dr. Dan, I want you to have an MRI scan because they've seen something on your CT, on your liver. And it was like, I can't go and tell them that now. They'll think I'm mad, you know. I thought, I cannot drop this bombshell on them as well. So I didn't tell them, the girls or my brothers, for a couple of, couple of days. And then eventually... <clears throat> You know, emotionally, I, I had to. I told Maureen, and um, and then yeah, I was confirmed that I the cancer had spread again. It's all breast cancer, mine. It's difficult sometimes for people to understand that it's breast cancer in my hip and my liver, but it's it's um, it's secondary breast cancer and it's metastasized, and that means that the cells have gone from where the the primary source was in my breast has gone to my hip, and then have then gone. They've floated over to my liver, where they're probably floating in gin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was again just you know just unbelievable. And you know we did go to the gate and wave Anne, and and it was you know her grandchildren didn't understand why they couldn't go and give her a hug, and and then of course you know. She was. She suffered so badly. The chemo was really harsh. She gave. They gave everything because it was a new cancer. I was having palliative chemo, 
to keep mine at bay, you know, keep it stable. And I just said to my oncologist, would it be possible for us to have our chemotherapy together? And he went, oh. <laughs> I said, we never cease to shock you, do we, doctor? He knows all about show business now. <laughs> I said, you never, you know, he says, can you come in and have your treatment on Thursday? I go, I can't do Thursday because I'm doing an interview. Can I do Friday? You know, he's, he's funny. <laughs> and, um, and he gets a name check in the book, so he's happy. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and he's, he he said, I'll, I'll speak with Anne's consultant and we, we'll sort it out, you know. And um, and he did. Anne had one chemo without me. She started first. And then um, it was, you know, it was COVID. And so normally with chemotherapy, you can bring somebody with you, your husband, sister, whatever, to sit with you and support you through it. But of course, because of COVID, that wasn't possible. So when Maureen... Maureen said, when I was diagnosed, I'm going to move in and look after you for your treatment while you're having your treatment. And Denise said, and you come and live with us again. She said, while you're having your treatment. I said, you lost out, haven't you, with this? I said, you've got me back. I said, you'll be changing the lock sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said to her once she was in the kitchen, I said, is there anything I can do to help? And she went, leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's been very droll. Um, yeah, so so they said they dropped us off for two at different times, you know, dropped us off, and they said they both cried because it was like leaving your four-year-old at the school gate. You know, we were walking in with our little bag with our packed lunch in and a drink, and nice. so that was really difficult. But for me, then when I arrived at the hospital, Anne was there, of course, and you know <clears throat> they did let us sit beside each other because we were kind of in the same bubble because we'd been working together and, and they were, you know, the NHS, my God. I, I think we all think how brilliant it is, but until you're a part of it and being, you know, you know they're helping you live, you don't realise how amazing they are. Unbelievable, the way we've been looked after. And, and not because we're, we're Nolan sisters or anything, because they do that work with all their patients. They're amazing, you know. It was funny, though, because the nurse said to us, you've got your own little pigeonhole now in our office. We said, what do you mean? We said, well, we've got cards for you from people just sending the Nolan sisters Blackpool Hospital. Oh. And we got some lovely cards off people, yeah, which is so lovely. And, and it, you know, I know people think it doesn't mean anything, but it means so much to know that people are out there and thinking about you and you know it's, it's lovely yes yes well you, you're you're in so many hearts in across the nation and and worldwide linda you know there's there's a huge oh, it's so lovely. love for you uh, linda you've obviously been living with with what is dis- defined as incurable cancer yeah just how just how much more frightening is that for you well <clears throat> It is frightening, you know, I'm not going to lie. And, and as much as we all have a laugh, you know, sometimes I, I close the door, having been with everybody, and I think, oh, God. You know, or sometimes I wake up and think, oh, today's not going to be a good day. So I have a couch day, you know, where I just, and the girls know it now. They phone to go for a walk, and I go, I can't do it today. And they go, why? And I go, I'm having a couch day. And they go, okay, but we'll do it tomorrow. You know, they, they understand now that, that sometimes you just need to have moments and you know I cry sometimes I cry when I look at the kids and all and and then I think that's why I think Bernie's there going what are you talking about you're alive don't be ridiculous you know and and so I do try I can have a scan this week and then I will get the results of the scan on the 22nd of April and hopefully he will say it's all stable everything's the same and I take chemo tablets at home four in the morning and four at night so um 
that makes up my 28 tablets a day. <laughs> and so I know I said to the girls, if I can't sing anymore, you can just rattle me. I could be in the racker, do the percussion. <laughs> Um, yeah and um, uh, you know and sometimes I think about dying and thinking oh god I I, I will miss all of this and you know and I'm scared of dying because I don't know what's there you know your religion comes back into it I'm I'm not an overly religious person but we're, we're Irish Catholics and we were all had to go to mass when we were kids and everything and you know I just believe that I have to believe that what you learn when you were five and six is that heaven is is a good, well, hopefully I'll go to heaven. Heaven is a gorgeous place. And, you know, I'll see Brian and Bernie there and, and mum and dad. And we'll, we'll all be having a great party and, and loving being up there, you know, because otherwise it, it, it's frightening. And I, and like Bernie, I've said to the girls, you know, I said that I would go into a hospice when my time comes uh, because I don't want them to be my carers, as much, although I know they would. I just want them to, to, get to the hospice with lots of chocolate and gin and we can just have a laugh and, you know, they, they can be happy, happy times and happy memories we make. But sometimes I sound as if it's blase and, you know, but, you know, don't get me wrong, there are dark moments when I think about dying and how scared it is and how frightened I am. I'm not frightened of, you know, I know that I won't be in any pain because I'll be well looked after and that will be well taken care of. It's just things that I'm going to miss and, and also fear of the unknown. Yes, yes. You, 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 I mean, you say very clearly that you are scared of death. And how, how much does that consume you? How much are you sort of... Well, I try not to let it consume all the time. Now, you know, I have a scan every three months to check that everything, a CT scan, to check everything is okay from my thorax to my pelvis. And... Um, and then I get the results. So I have the scan, and like I said, I, I will have to scan this week, get the results in, in a couple of weeks' time, the 22nd of April. But um, I try not to let the time in between scans be all about cancer. Because if I do that, then cancer has won. Cancer is winning. It's, it's, it's completely taking over my life. At the moment, you know, I have... Um, the only pain I have at the moment is neuropathic pain, which is like um, you know, uh, nerve pain, your fingertips. And my feet feel like I'm walking on rolling pins and, and I get pins and needles in my toes. And the girls, when we go out, they bring a wheelchair and I always go, you can leave that in the car. I'm not getting in a wheelchair. They go, Linda. And I go, no, I want to keep walking for as long as I can, you know. And I, you know, and I do, and I, I'm not, I'm not being a hero, you know. If it was too bad, I would say I'd either sit in the wheelchair or I wouldn't go for a walk. But I, I try, as I say, I try not to let it all be about cancer and neck when when the um, results is coming, because as I say, it's like it's like a boxing match, you know. Cancer's got round one, but I'm ahead now about maybe three rounds, you know, by keep, keep on fighting it and, you know, and hopefully it'll be a knockout at the end. Absolutely. Um, you know, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to keep up beat and not letting cancer consume you because it can so easily, you know, you can be frightened of everything and, you know, I, I still have a little drink and I, I, you know, I don't drink to excess obviously because, but I, I'll have a little drink if we go out and, you know, people say, I mean, ice cream, oh, sugar isn't good for parts. And that's right. But I still want to have a Mr. Whippy. So I'm going to have it. You know, <laughs> you know, everything is in, well, you see, I'm high maintenance. That's all I need. A Mr. Whippy with a flake and a bit of red sauce. I'm a happy girl. Brilliant. I'm a happy girl, man. Brilliant. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Well, you do say, and it's a, such a powerful sentence that you've, you've written in the book, you know, your, your, your very words are, I do realise you have to get back to a normal life because otherwise you're just living cancer and that's taking the life yeah. away that you have. And uh, everything that you've said and the way you've presented yourself today and the person you are and the spirit you have, <laughs> it is so clear that cancer is something that's happening, but you're still, yeah. you're still very much alive and you are living. Absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely right. I'm living every day, not every day as if it's my last, I'm just living every day to, to the fullest, you know. People say, have I learned, that, you know, has anything change, changed? I stutter a little bit because my chemo tablets make me stutter, <laughs> so I'm not drunk. Um, <laughs> not I, yet, anyway. I am, I am Linda, so that's <laughs> That's a whole other show. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I live it to its fullest, you know, um, and uh, and I, I feel lucky to be able to do that, you know. So that that's what it's all about, you know, yes. being happy and 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 you know when they say to me, "Has your life changed?" You know, obviously it's changed in ways that my life is made up of hospital appointments and stuff. But other than that, it's given me a sense of freedom, which sounds a little bit weird, but it's given me a sense of freedom in the fact that I, I now, I prioritize and do what I want to do. You know, if I, if somebody says to me, you know, can you do this TV show in Ireland next week and next Thursday? And I, I've already got an arrangement to see Colleen on the Thursday. I'll go, I can't do it Thursday because I'm seeing Colleen. And they kind of go, what do you mean though? It's a TV show. Yeah, I know, but I've, I'm going to see Colleen, you know, because I don't know when it's going to kick in and stop me from doing stuff. So in the meantime, I'm going to make the most of all of the time I've got left. Yes. And I plan to be here for a long time. Well, so is, don't get excited. No, this is, this is very good, very good news to hear. In, in actual fact, you, you even allude to the fact that you've, uh, you've started a little bit of a dating side of things as well. Well, hilariously, Andy, the girls put me on a dating app. You know, just to meet someone nice and um, friendly, just a nice friendship, you know. And um, hilariously, I haven't found anyone, but Maureen and Colin have. And they've been <laughs> talking to people for about five months now. I mean, I did I did actually got talking to one gentleman who was lovely, really nice. And we were still able at the time to meet somebody who was in our area. So we, we could meet in the park. So I met him in the park, and he was lovely. He was really funny. He bought me a pork pie. Yes. What a, what and a I said, random a thing pork, to be remembered by. <laughs> he said, a pork pie. And he said, listen, it's, it's, um, it's not as romantic as roses, but it tastes better. <laughs> <laughs> and he bought, he bought little treats for my, for my dog, Betty. And, um, and we had a lovely walk, and we've been talking. He's just a friend, you know. There's no spark there. Probably for him as well, no spot. But it's look, I've made a friend, and that's great, you know. And dating, yes, you can you can live and love with cancer. And um, if I met someone, it would it would be fabulous. And it's taken me a long time to be able to say that because of Brian. And yes. but um, but yeah, just to meet somebody to go for a walk or go to the movie with, or even go on holiday with, you know. I, when I go to these charity events, which I do a lot to the balls or whatever, it's either one of my sisters or my best friend Sue. They're always my plus one, you know. It would be nice to go with, with, with a, a friend, a gentleman friend, you know. It'd be great. So watch out, men out there. Well, there, there's your advert, Linda. We have quite a lot of listeners. I feel like, <laughs> feel like there's going to be men wandering the streets of Blackpool with their uh, their CVs out. Going, <laughs> with the ballet, yeah. That's it. Just maybe not pork pies this time, you know. <laughs> well, I've got to say it was a nice pork pie, to be fair. <laughs> 
I mean, I thought a man has to be on heart. How did he find that out? I didn't put that on my, uh, you know, my information. I put Linda Hudson. I put my married name, my married surname, Linda Hudson. And it said occupation. I put media, entertainment. That was it, really. That's all I put. You know, it's difficult because you don't want to start out in a lie and put, you know, the wrong name and, and, and all of that. And then, you know, so he did kind of know who I was yeah, of uh, he when he got in touch. Yeah, but he said he owned up to that. It would have been worse if he said, "No, I don't. I'm sorry, I've never heard of the Lone Sisters." Then we go, "Well, well, you must have been dead all your life, then, because if even if you, even if you hate us, you will have heard of one of us." Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that was nice, you know, and it was, um, and he's he is a lovely guy, but it's just there's no spark there romantically. Oh well. There, there's literally so there's plenty of fish in the sea, Linda. Absolutely. There'll be plenty of men that are very starstruck. You know, when imagine going on a first date with Linda Nolan. It would be, I mean, it would be amazing, but terrifying. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, honest to God, when I was going to meet this guy, it was like a 15-year-old then, so don't ever worry about that. Everybody goes back to that, oh, what am I going to wear? What will I say? The only, the only thing is that because of COVID, I knew he wouldn't jump on me when we were saying goodbye because you, you've got to keep your distance, haven't you, because of COVID. Yes. So I said, I'm safe there. He's not going to jump on me. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, well, you know, it, 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 I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? I think I'd know straight away if they were there just because it was an old sister, you know. Yes. You kind of know the signs. You but have, you there's lots of lovely men out there. Yes. And there's yes. lovely men out there who who are my age who've lost the love of their life, you know, and they just want a, a companion, if you like. You know, it may not be a, a massive, massive, I mean, it might be, but it may not be a massive romantic, you know, Mills and Boone romance, but it would be lovely to, to have, like I said, a companion to go for walks with and, and just somebody there who cares about you only and, you know, mm. it'd be lovely. Yes. But, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy at the moment with life, so things are good. Good. You sound in such a lovely place, Linda, and it's and it's so <laughs> it's so good to hear. Because, you know, reading the book, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan, regardless, prior to, to reading the story, but, but then <laughs> you are so open and honest. You become very close. As a reader, you become very close to you and your battles and your mindset oh. and your journey, and, you, you know, you're inspiring. And one moment you, you're so... Oh. You, your heart's exploding for you with with concern, and then the next moment we're laughing with you and holding you and cuddling <laughs> you, and it's it is, and you've written it. Oh, that's so lovely! Thank you. That's brilliant. Well, that's what we wanted for the book to be. You know, like we said, what's and all, but it's not just doom and gloom, which you've said. You know, it's there are funny bits in it, and and life is life, isn't it? Yes. You have to take it by the horns and you know live it to the to, to the fullest. There we go. Linda, it's a it's a very special book. I think it's going to I think it's going to entertain a lot of people, of course, but more importantly, I think it's going to help a huge number of people. I hope so. That would that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's a very it's a very special thing you've done. So you know, thank you for writing it, and and thank you so much for your time and company today. It's it's been really. Special. Oh, you're welcome. Honestly, the trouble is trying to stop me talking, isn't it? Oh no, That's, you're an <laughs> My dad said that. <laughs> My dad, you know, they say if you kiss the blood, you get the teeth. Gift of the gab if you kissed the Blarney Stone. My dad said I must have swallowed it. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) it's been great talking to you as well. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Linda. Thank you so much for your company. Thank you. Good luck with it all. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Andy. The Andy J Podcast. Wow. I mean, Linda Nolan, her honesty, what she shared there. 
I think she's incredible. What a lady. I hope those of you that have listened all the way to the end have found it a really useful listen, uh, as well as being just sort of informative, enlightening, and, and, uh, and all the things that I hope you take away from it. I found it a hard conversation to have and a hard conversation to prepare for and a hard conversation to reflect on afterwards due to uh, various different... Um, well, cancer has affected all of us, of course, hasn't it? We all know someone or have experienced it for ourselves. And uh, I and my family are no different. So talking to Linda about those things was not easy to prepare for. And it wasn't easy to have the chat. But I think it's an important conversation to have. And the way she shares and the amount that she shares, I think, is really very, very important. So if you've made it all this way, thank you very much. I hope that uh, whatever you're going through, you're, you're going through it with people that are around you and with you. And... Um, yeah, keep smiling, keep on going. Thank you for your company. We'll be back with plenty more guests for you next week. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth, so please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review, and share. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.